Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is Gospel Saving Church. This is one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If this is your first time listening to me or your first time in my home, uh, welcome. Again, welcome. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. Uh, love to have you here. I'm, I'm glad you're listening. I, I hope you didn't come here. I hope you didn't come online to be entertained. Uh, I'm going to tell you that right up front, and uh, this may not be the sermon for you to listen to because I'm not an entertainer. Uh, I can be an entertainer, but I'm not going to be an entertainer for God's Word because God's Word is not for, to entertain us, but rather to help us to know God more, help us to know the ways of God, the things of God, to help us love one another more, to help us know how to follow God, or first, for first and foremost, to help us come to begin to follow God and start a relationship with Him. But it's not for entertainment. So anyway, praise God. I hope you're here. I hope you still join us. And I hope you didn't click us off already online. Um, We always start with a word of prayer and ask God to bless the service and bless our hearts. So if you guys would please join me. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, as each day new You show your love and your grace and your mercy towards us, Lord God. In that, Lord God, you allow this world to still go on. You allow salvation, Lord, to still be upon this earth, Lord. You have not shut off people coming to you, Lord. People still have their opportunity to come to you and be saved. Help us in this message that we're listening to here, Lord. Those of us that are still in this message with us, Lord, help us, Lord, to understand the things of you, Lord, as we know that your word is spiritually discerned and we are physical beings. Lord, those of us that have your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, help us to understand by your Spirit that lives within us, Lord, the things which you say. Lord, those that are listening that are not yours, help them, Lord, because they're seeking to understand the things of you, Lord, for you know the person's heart who's truly seeking you and you want them to be saved. But Lord, they have to come to that point. Lord, the point of of salvation, Lord. We pray you help them come to that point of salvation. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for this message. And uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do for us every day, every breath, every heartbeat. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you guys brought your Bibles, I hope you did. You can open to Acts chapter 22, brand new chapter today. We're going to be in verses 1 through 22. Again, that's Acts chapter 22, the first 22 verses. If you guys want to join in and follow me along, you can open your Bibles and read along. If you want to listen along, you can listen along. The title of our sermon today, They Have a Zeal for God, but Not According to Knowledge. Acts 22, verses 1 through 22. Luke records Paul's words. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, 
as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Verse 10. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked at him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I turned, returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. That means they wanted to kill him, for he's not fit to live. Last week we saw the response of these same Jews in this section today that Paul is talking to now, who heard that he had taught people, Paul had taught people, that the law of Moses was no longer a requirement for anyone, whether Jew or Gentile, to keep. And of course, they were right. He was teaching people this very doctrine. But you see, they loved the law of Moses because they thought it brought them righteousness before God, and they thought it made them saved in God's eyes by the law of Moses, by the keeping of it, but they were wrong. Their response, of course, to Paul was to attack him and kill him as they worshipped the law of Moses as a little g-god. In the end of our last section, these Jews had Paul in the death grip and about to kill him for his teaching, and he was rescued by a commander of the Roman army and taken away from them. Right before, though, the setting up of where we are now, right before he was going to be taken away from them and out of their sight for good, his love for them caused him to ask permission to speak to his would-be murderers. Because remember, just moments before this, they were trying to murder him. And surprisingly, it had to be a God thing, he was given permission. He spoke to them in the Hebrew, and as he does, God does a miracle and shuts their mouths so that they can listen to him. I mean, this is, this is unheard of that they're beating and about to murder somebody one moment. Moments later, he's being taken away from them. That would make me more angry, 
right? If I was trying to hurt somebody and kill somebody and I had him in the death blow and I really wanted to hurt him and kill him and then he was grabbed out of my hands, that would make me even more angry. Then to see that guy whom I just was trying to kill up on these stairs as they brought Paul up these stairs into this little building and then he wants to talk and then we all become silent, that had to be. A miracle of God. It had to be. I would still be yelling, no, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. I wouldn't be like, oh, whoa, whoa. Let me hear what he has to say. (laughs) It's just unheard of, right? Well, God did a miracle. Then we open up in this section in a new chapter. We read Paul's message to them with God still doing this miracle, but even stronger this time. Look at verses 1 and 2 again, please. Brethren and fathers, he's addressing his audience, right? These are all his Jewish brothers, or even if they're not his Jewish brothers, they're Gentile converts to Judaism. That's the only people that it would have been in the temple, that and, and Jewish Christians, of course. But obviously there weren't many of them in there that day. He says, hear my defense before you now. I, I know you're trying to beat me. I know you're trying to kill me. But let me, let me just share with you my defense. Verse 2. And not because of his defense, not because of anything. Verse 2, and when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent. So again, they weren't stopping listening to him because he was like, oh, I have something, something really good to say to you. They stopped. God did this miracle because he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Wow. All right. So moving forward, God gives Paul the floor for him to speak to them. Look at what he says. Look at the very last few words in verse 2. I don't know why the translators just didn't make this verse 3, but he says, verse, end of verse 2, verse 3, um, Then he said, then verse 3, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God's law as you are all today. He, he tells them in his opening statements after he addresses them, he gives them some details about himself that were very impressive to any Jew who was trying to earn their salvation by the law of Moses or by works. He tells them, number one, he's a Jew by birth. This is kind of valuable information because number one, there's only about six million Jews even today. At this point in time, there may have only been a million or two Jews in existence in the whole world. So the fact that he was a literal Jew born by birth, that meant something. Number two, he tells him, I was born in Tarsus, remember Saul of Tarsus, because he was Saul back then, of Cilicia, which was the region. Uh, But he tells them this number two important fact, that he was raised in Jerusalem. This is kind of a huge deal because think of Samuel in the Old Testament. You know, his mother couldn't get pregnant and she went to the temple and she cried out to God and said, God, you know, if you'll just let me have a baby, I'll, I'll basically give you the first one. Lord, and, and he won't, I won't raise him at all. I mean, after he's weaned, of course, and then I'll give him to you. That This is kind of what seems to me that Saul's parents did with him. He was born, he had a city, he had a house, but they said, no, Saul, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to learn how to be a religious Pharisee, and, and which leads to number three, probably the biggest and most impressive detail he gives them of himself. After he tells them he's raised in Jerusalem, forsaking the place of his birth, he tells them that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, whom was he, this fellow, you may say, oh, who's Gamaliel? Well, Gamaliel, he was nationally recognized as a mighty Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee, according to the Jews, was basically a PhD in the Jewish law. 
Pharisee. They were teachers. They were like the doctors. They knew the Jewish law, the law of Moses, in and out. Why is this last detail, detail so impressive? Well, every Jew that was a real Jew knew Gamaliel. He was a mighty religious Jew. He was a mighty teacher of the Jews, and he was a mighty Jewish leader in their religions. So mighty was Gamaliel among the people. Remember Matthew chapter 5, the, the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are fed up with Jesus' apostles. They are spreading Christ all throughout Jerusalem, and they're angry because people are leaving the Jewish faith, and they're going over to be Christians, and, and they don't like it because they were the ones that had Jesus crucified in the first place. They, they hated him because he was trying to take the people away from following their law and you know giving them a real relationship with God and so on and so forth. And so... <laughs> The, the Jewish religious leaders in Matthew 5 have the apostles in their grips. They had arrested them. They had put them in prison, and they were planning to kill them. They bring them out to examine them. As they're examining them, they're ready to kill them because they don't like their answers. Matthew 5.34, enter Paul's bit of information today. Then one in the council stood up a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. Listen to the way Matthew describes this guy. A teacher of the law held in respect by all people. And he commanded them. Notice he didn't suggest, hey guys, uh, maybe we are acting a little rash here. No, it says he commanded them. Now we're talking about, these are all Jewish religious leaders here. And one guy steps up and he puts his foot down and he says, no. And he commanded them, meaning the, the, all his religious leader brethren, to put the apostles outside for a little while. And guess what? They listened. Gamaliel was like the bomb of the bomb, right? He was like the, the one of the top religious leaders in the whole Jewish nation. And they, they listened to his advice, by which, remember, Matthew 5, God delivered the apostles to preach and lead the Christian church for many more days. Paul here reminds these Jews that he's talking to here today that he himself was a personal one-on-one -on -one student with this powerful Jewish religious leader, this superman of their faith. Now, why would Paul have be giving them all of these kind of impressive details about himself? Well, one and one and only reason that God brought to my heart when I was doing this is because it definitely would have given them some respect for him. You see, when, when you're speaking to people, and me as I'm a public speaker. I, I speak uh, all the time, actually. I, I'm a school bus driver, so I have to speak to a, a group of kids all the time, and I speak every week for the Lord and, and things like that, and I speak to groups of people here and there. When you're speaking to people, if they respect you, they'll listen to you. If they don't respect you and they have, ah, this guy, who is this guy? Ah, you know, and I see it all the time when I look on YouTube and I see all these street preachers and they stand up on their boxes and I, the people that they're trying to talk to, they don't earn their respect in any way. All they do is yell out and you see the people, they make one or two people maybe gather, you know, one person, but for the most part, the people just walk on by. They just dismiss them. They're just like, oh, that whatever. He's another guy up there yelling. But here, Paul 
Saul, I guess, at the time, and his testimony that he's given of himself, he wanted to earn the respect of those that he was speaking to, knowing that if you earn the respect of those who you're speaking to, if you have that ability to do that, which he did with all these, you know, all these wonderful details about himself, that the people would have listened to him. Now, definitely winning some huge respect from them, considering all of his Jewish ways and religious life, and who taught him personally, one-on-one, Paul says of himself, he goes on in that same verse, number four thing he says about himself, that he was taught according to the strictness of our father's law. This would have both impressed them, and it would have shown them his zeal for the same law that he was not, that they were now actually you know, trying to practice when going after him. Uh, this would have also been expected, they would have expected this, <laughs> oh, this guy grew up under Gamaliel, well, how did he take the law? Oh, wow, okay, the strictness of the law, okay, all right, yeah, he really was, because Gamaliel, you know, he was, that was it, you know. Last of all, uh, the list of very impressive info of himself, he says, number five, that he was, ze- he was zealous towards God's law, as with all of them are the very day that he was speaking to him here, and that was pretty zealous according to their standards, as their zeal for you know God and, and his law were causing them to attack and kill Paul. And that's what they thought. And he says, hey, I was the same as you. He goes on to describe a little of that zeal for God that he had. And now that he's got them hooked and they're listening and with tons of respect, verse 4 and 5, he says this, I persecuted this way to the death. It's important you read that verse that way, because this way, if you know, biblically, until Acts 11.26, the Christianity was called the way. It wasn't always called Christianity. Again, it wasn't until Acts 11.26 that it was first called Christianity. The, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So he's saying, I persecuted all of those of the way that I am, this Christian way, this people of Jesus Christ, this way, to death. Right, and Paul's them. Paul tells them that it's because of his zeal for God that he persecuted Christians to death. Ouch! That's that's, that's kind of a, a mean zeal for God, wouldn't you think? I don't really know. That's a zeal for God at all. Anyway, keep reading verse four: binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Pretty bad actions, but think if they're if you're speaking to them. This is who I was. This is basically who you guys are now. They're going, wow, yeah, he was really. He was just like we are now. Anyway, verse 5. As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there in Jerusalem to be punished. He he attained these papers, remember, in Acts 9-2, when he went to the high priest himself, Uh, And also something else that he does here, notice he drops these little hints, these little details. He actually gives anybody that's there in his audience, he gives them, oh, he did, he did go to the high priest. I can check that out. You know what? And he, and anyone there could have gone to the high priest or gone to the religious leaders and say, Hey, did you remember a guy named Saul? And, and he was a heavy persecutor of the church. Did you, did you give him some letters to go to them? And they would have said, well, yeah, of course, you know, we will trying to stomp this out. And so all of this information that he gave them could have been verified. So he wasn't just trying to blow smoke up their, up their nose. He, he was really literally giving them a lot of information that they could have verified. So there, he just gives these religious leaders a huge look at his prior zeal for God and his law. Notice verse 3, when I say prior, verse 3, he says that he was 
zealous for God as they still were. Notice the word was was past tense. Obviously, that's not present. I wonder if they caught that because when he said, I was zealous for the law as you guys are now, that means that he's no longer zealous for God's law as they are now. Obviously, they didn't catch it. Uh, Paul reminds them also there in those verses 4 and 5 that he just didn't stop his attack against Christians uh, or the way in Jerusalem. He, he was traveling as far, and that's where this whole account actually happens, just right outside of Damascus. Well, in case you're not familiar, Damascus is almost about 200 miles from Jerusalem. So Paul was so zealous for the law of God and for the things that he thought he should be doing that he traveled almost or over, it was it's actually like 208 miles, like over 200 miles to go to Damascus just so he could hurt and imprison and possibly get killed any people that were there that were of the Christian orient, of, of those that have turned away from the Jewish faith and those that were Christians. Now, while that's, that's, that's pretty zealous according to the, the ways that they were here, e- even really blowing their zealousness out of the water. Because these guys, most of these guys were from Jerusalem. Well, you know, if you're in Jerusalem and you're persecuting somebody in Jerusalem, well, you didn't have to go outside of the city almost 200 miles to do that as Saul did. Now, anyway, moving forward, thankfully, he doesn't keep his message to them in his bad Christ-hating past, being like these zealous Jews in Jerusalem who were persecuting him. He moves on to some good news, some good life-changing news. Verses 6 through 8, read them. Now it happened, he says. Now I'm all this, and I was doing all this, and going to Damascus. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. He, he speaks of his life changing encounter with the Savior, God's promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. He, he had traveled some 200 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus with official religious documents from the high priests and the authorities in the Jewish religion to arrest and possibly kill or have killed any that were of the way that he found. And what happens is he meets the Savior personally. Detailing what he said in verses 6 through 8, he meets the Savior personally when he and his travel companions are walking into Damascus at about noon. And what happens, he says, this bright light shines from heaven. It was like the sun in the sky just got like a million times brighter to Paul. So bright was this light, he says, that it brought him to his knees. He hears Christ's voice, he says, and Christ asks him one simple question. Just a simple question. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Saul, what are you doing? Do you realize who I am? Very powerful idea, though, found there as a side note. Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus Christ personally, was he? Christ was in heaven. Oh, no, of course he wasn't persecuting Jesus Christ personally, but the powerful idea found there, what we, can, what we can correlate there, what Christ says, is that when someone does evil or hurts one of his followers, he sees that they're doing them harm, and then he considers it as if they're persecuting him, literally as if they were persecuting him as he was in the flesh right there for them to persecute. Ouch. 
that's, that's kind of harsh. So I don't know if you've ever persecuted Christians. Maybe you're listening to this message and you're a seeker of the Lord, but you persecuted Christians. Well, time to ask God for forgiveness because Christ sees that persecution that you gave against Him, if that was you, uh, as it was actually against Him personally. Moving on. Paul then says in that verse, or in those verses, that in his, in his encounter, he was confused. And he says, who are you, Lord? A couple of reasons why Saul might not or did not know that it was Jesus Christ, their Jesus of Nazareth that was speaking to him. Uh, not sure if Paul or Saul ever actually met Jesus personally. I'm under the more of the persuasion that he never met him personally. It was uh, Saul was there and he learned under Gamaliel, but he never really knew or saw Jesus Christ personally. But number two, even if he had met Christ, but he didn't know who he was, uh, maybe Jesus had a little bit of a different voice in his resurrected body. Maybe he had the more of the God voice. Saul, Saul, you know, why are you persecuting me? You know, kind of booming, kind of kind of trying to sign, sound ominous from heaven, right? You know, Jesus is, remember, the lion and the lamb. And of course, in his life, we know that he was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Well, in his resurrection, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So, of course, he's not a, he wasn't in a weak and beggarly form anymore. Now, couldn't have Paul just looked up to answer Christ simply and said, oh, yeah, it's you, Jesus. I, I, if, you know, if he knew who he was, if he knew what he looked like, oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, how, how's it going? He could have, but it wouldn't have made a difference because, remember, verse 11, and since I could not see for the glory of that light. See, he was blind. So Saul had become blind at this point. So even had he looked up, he didn't, we wouldn't have been able to know who Jesus was by looking because he couldn't see. But no matter that he's blind, those verses, Paul tells us, Saul tells us, whatever, Paul of now, Jesus Christ fills him in on just exactly who he is, plus adds another detail a second time. Verse 8 there, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Saul meets the Savior and finally figures out that the Jesus Christ, that the followers that he'd been persecuting, and learned that he had been persecuting Jesus one time already, now knows that the Savior is really God Almighty and, and a part of God, and I'm sure God revealed that to Saul. Uh, also notice that second bit of information, according to the first that Saul tell, or Jesus tells him, is that he also reminds him again, uh, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, now big hint, in the Bible, when God wants to bring a point across, nowadays we may do all caps in our text messages or all caps in our emails, and God didn't do all caps. What God did, if he wanted to really stress a point, he said it multiple times. This is Christ's second time saying, you're persecuting me. Saul wasn't persecuting Christ. If you're persecuting Christians or those that are persecuting Christians, you ought to tell them, hey, by the way, did you know you're actually persecuting Jesus Christ? Personally, that's how he sees it. You're in trouble. Anyway, off of Saul for a moment. What about those with him? What are they doing during this interaction with Paul and the Savior? Look at verse 9. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke with me. It's important. Now, they see the light, but they weren't blinded, nor did they see the light and were they brought to their knees. They were just simply afraid, the Bible says. I would probably have said they were terrified, and that would have been a better word to use, but nevertheless, afraid, terrified. They were scared out of their wits. What's going on? Holy camoli, what's all this going on? Wow. 
Paul's, Paul tells us there that they don't hear Christ's voice. That's important. Acts 9 gives us another account of this story, a firsthand account of this story. And Paul tells us that they uh, saw this, and it seems a little different, but really where it, it matters, the difference is, is that here Paul says that they saw the light but didn't hear the voice of the one who spoke with me. Really, they heard Paul's voice as he was speaking to the Savior. Now, it's funny how this powerful bright light that they all saw, including Paul and his travel companions, was more powerful to Paul, brought Paul to his knees and blinded him literally, but it didn't for his travel companions. Uh, Interesting study there, but but I think it falls along the lines of when God's trying to get somebody's attention specifically... And he knows how to get the attention of somebody specifically and in a really powerful way. I think that's what we get out of that, but it'd be an interesting study. Paul goes on in describing his life-changing encounter with Christ in verses 10 and 11. So I said, his response, What shall I do, Lord? I've taught this before. I'll say it again. I truly believe here. This is when Saul becomes the converted man, uh, uh, the Christ follower that he is right now when he's speaking to these Jews. Jesus Christ shows up. Paul, Saul, the way we know to eternal life is submission unto Christ. That this is what, this is what Christ wants. This is true salvation. Humbling yourself, submitting before the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting your life to him, coming to have a personal relationship with him, making him your Lord. Here, Saul, he says... What shall I do, Lord? Now, Lord, hey, I'm here. (laughs) Whatever you want, I surrender. I'll do it. So the Lord says to him, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. We know that the Bible says that we can't work our way to salvation. Of course, here I believe Paul... Saul becomes saved and born again, and then he's going to go into Damascus, as not, and as we see that he does. I'm going to get to that in a moment, verse 11, but we know that we can only be obedient to the things of God and Christ if we're truly that regenerate person, as we then we see, what do we see Saul do next? Verse 11, and since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led into the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Now, he could have said, I'm blind. God, I can't believe you did this to me. And Jesus Christ, I know you're Lord God, but you know what? If you're going to blind me, even after I said, here I am, Lord, or, you know, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? Then you know what? Forget you then. And he could have just gone off the deep end and walked away, but he didn't. He said, what do you want me to do? God tells him what to do. Christ tells him what to do, rather. And then he goes and does it. And what is he really doing? What is he really, what is all of this, what is he really doing? You know, going in for evil, Christ changes him. He submits his life to Christ. Christ says, go do this. What's he really doing? He starts to seek God and obey God, God's ways for the very first time in his life. He finally decided to lay down his will and his ways that he chose to be zealous for God or with God, and he surrendered to God's will and began to love God and be zealous for God the way God wanted him to be zealous for himself. See, there's a zeal for the Lord, but not according to knowledge, like the title of the sermon, which is what the Jews that were persecuting Paul now and the way Saul used to be. And then there's a zeal for God according to God's ways, according to the ways God says 
that we ought to be zealous for him and love him. And this is what Saul decides to do. He decides to give up. He decides to wave the white flag of surrender, and he decides to submit his life and decides to follow God in Christ and have a zeal for him according to the knowledge of the ways that God said to do. Most people that I've met know of that profess to be religious or even be of God or Jesus Christ basically live for God the ways in which they want to live for God. They don't seek to love God for real. And what I mean by that is their, their zeal, their love for God isn't based on the truth. They have an idea of God uh, yeah, God, you know, creator, or maybe they think he's creator, but they have an, some idea of God, and their knowledge of God is either based off of one little snippet of his word, that you can't know God by one little section, you know, one little couple few words, you can't know God and obey God one few words, you gotta know God just like people, by getting to know him by the totality of all the things that God says of himself. Well, most people don't want to be real with God, and they don't want to have a zeal and a love for God according to God's ways that he wrote down for us to have that relationship with him. They want to have a zeal and a relationship with God on their own terms. But you see, there's a problem because that's not how Jesus Christ said that we ought to do things if we want to be his, if we want to be saved, if we want to have a relationship with him. And so Saul, for the first time in his life, decides to have a zeal for God according to his knowledge, not according to the knowledge that he had before, where it was just his own personal knowledge. And so that's awesome. And that's awesome. And that's what God wants for every single one of us. We'll get to that at the end. I want to move on and finish our verses. As Paul seeks to love God in the ways that God tells him to, look at verses 12 and 13. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him. God allows one of his devout Christian men, like the ones that Saul came to have, uh, he came to Damascus, remember, to kill and have arrested and throw into prison. And he allows Ananias to come and bless him with his sight back. And as we'll read of more in this section, God will give Saul even more direction of how God and Christ want to be loved and how to be zealous for Jesus Christ the right way. You see, as Saul sought to obey Jesus Christ with the accurate zeal and love that God wanted him to have for him, according to God's words and ways, God showed him blessings. He showered blessings upon him. He showered blessings both spiritual and physical upon him. A, 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 a physical healing of his eyes. And then Paul gets some other blessings that are going to come as we read on. And this all lines up with Scripture. You see Matthew 25, 29, Jesus said this, For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Uh, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. If you have a zeal for God according to knowledge, the true knowledge of how he wants to be loved and served, God will continue to bless your life. You may go through struggles. Well, you will go through struggles and trials and tribulations. But nonetheless, know this. God will bless you all throughout it with confirmation that you, he loves you, with, with provision, with, with help in your life, with peace in your life. But if you have a zeal according to God that's not according to his knowledge, well, then you're living in death. And you may have a, you may have a, a, a love of the world and the world may love you. But God and you, you, you aren't together. Because it's not, you're not loving them according to the ways that God gave you 
to love Him. An accurate or correct zeal and love for God gets favor. An incorrect zeal for God, not according to the knowledge of how God wants to be loved, doesn't get a favor from God. Uh, breaking down how God shows even bigger blessings upon Saul for him, finally seeking Jesus Christ with accurate zeal and love for him. Uh, we read this. There was a dwelling in that city. Uh, there, was, there was in that city, excuse me, dwelling a Jewish, this Jewish Christian named Ananias. And he comes to Saul uh, after God had come to him personally and talked with him in Acts 9, 11 through 16. It's a pretty funny little account. You know, Ananias didn't really want to go. He heard that Saul was this big persecutor of Christians. And now God says, hey, go to Saul. And he's here. And they're now, oh, well, Lord, 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 he's gonna, he came to kill me. He came to arrest me. And anyway, it's a pretty funny story. Anyway, Ananias gets there. Notice that section there. He calls Saul brother. Now, I believe, as I already told you, that I, Saul was saved. Doesn't seem as if one of the things, a couple of the things that Ananias says to Saul, doesn't seem if he thought he was saved, but nevertheless, he couldn't see inside Saul's heart. He didn't have the totality of Scripture. He didn't see what happened before this, like we have the, the benefit of in the Scripture. Anyway, after Ananias gets there and talks with Saul, he speaks to him, or his eyes, whichever, however you want to say it, just like Christ did when he was in ministry. He says, hey, Saul, I want you to see. And just as simply as he says that, Saul receives his sight back. That will, again, just like Jesus Christ used to do it. A result, verse 13, says that within the hour, Saul got his sight back. Praise God. Uh, look at what this devout disciple of Christ says to him next. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then he says, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will. <laughs> wow. Wow, that, that's awesome. I mean, you may not know how awesome that is, but that's talking about Ananias is telling Saul, God's chosen you personally to know the things that God wants, to know the things of God's heart. And it's no wonder with God telling him this, it's no wonder, FYI, I don't know if you know this, but the man Saul who became the Christ-preaching apostle Paul, taught, he wrote, God allowed him to have two-thirds of the New Testament books. Now, if lining up what we read here, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will, well then who would God, if he wanted Saul to know his will, Paul to know his will, well, what do we see? You know, God, he showed him his will. Uh, then who did he have write the words so that we can know God's will? Well, then Saul, Paul writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So he goes on to say, I mean, which is a huge blessing, right? He goes on to say more blessings and to see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Another more huge blessings that Saul gets for obeying God and Jesus Christ with accurate zeal. The one that God told him to have for him, not his own fabricated human zeal that he had for God like the Jews that were about to kill Paul were. I've experienced many awesome blessings from obeying Christ with the zeal and love that he says to have for him in his world, in his word, and he, that he wants people to have for him. But even I have not received the blessing of seeing Jesus Christ as Saul and Paul will get. I've heard Jesus Christ, but not even with the vocal uh, language like Saul heard him here. So a huge, huge, awesome, amazing thing that Saul actually got to hear the Savior's voice after resurrection. Then Ananias tells him that he'll be an evangelist and preacher for Jesus Christ. Well, that's awesome. I received my call 
to be an evangelist and a preacher for Jesus Christ. Within days or a week of coming to know him, he made me an evangelist, a preacher for Jesus Christ. And so anyway, these are the ways in which God blesses and, 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 and showers blessings upon you. If you'll just have an accurate zeal for him, he'll let you know him and know his will. And he'll even possibly let you see him. And, and there's just so many awesome things with, with God. And, and, and anyway, moving on, the last couple of things that Ananias is recorded saying to him, look at verse 16. And now, why are you waiting? So he's like, stop wasting time, right? Let's get going. And I love that because guess what? Saul or Paul, he wasn't the one wasting time right? He wasn't the one that was talking. He was the one that was listening. So Ananias goes, hey, come on now, why are you waiting? But he's the one doing all the talking. So it's like, you know, he was just probably caught up in the moment. I just think it's funny. Uh, anyway, Ananias goes on to say, arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, he, he, tells him, he, he tells him to get real with God. Stop having a zeal for Jesus Christ, not according to knowledge, and have a zeal for God according to his knowledge, and love and serve him uh, the way he wants you to. Now, here's what I said. Uh, I believe that Ananias, since he didn't have the totality of Scripture that we had, he didn't yet know that Saul was a born-again person yet, and that's why he would have said, Arise, be baptized, wash away your sin, calling on the name of the Lord. Basically, hey, Saul, come on now, stop fooling around with God, get saved. You know, get saved. But he didn't know Saul had already done that. Anyway, um, on this verse, just a, just a small aside, uh, I, I want to keep on going with, with, with Saul's testimony, but just, just a small aside. Uh, unfortunately, many have taken what Ananias says here as a way to justify the necessity of baptism or a work, the work of baptism for salvation. He says, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, and people connect those two and they go, oh, see? You do need to be baptized in order to be saved. It's right there. Rise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Well, washing away your sins means that you're getting saved, right? And then but it goes on to say, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, I'll concede that by what Ananias says to Saul, in this one verse, a person can read that baptism is necessary for salvation. So, you know, Jesus Christ plus baptism equals salvation versus Jesus Christ alone uh, by grace through faith in salvation. But it is only because we're just looking at this one verse that you're getting confused and you're not looking at the whole counsel of God's Word. There's a way to study a Bible, the Bible that includes where you look at the whole Bible, or there's a way to study the Bible where it includes just one little snippet or one little verse, and that's not, of course, how God wants you to study His Word. He wants you to look at the totality of His Word and then formulate out of what you read who God really is and what God really wants from you. Now, before I get on to what the Bible says as far as the whole Bible on that subject, if we just read what Ananias says there carefully and in context, you'll see that he's not saying that salvation comes by baptism in water plus Jesus Christ. Look at what he says and think of grammar. and It's really simple. Ananias says this, Arise and be baptized. Well, number one, Scripture really says that after you're saved, the works come. So that would be kind of Ananias not even knowing it. He was like, arise, be baptized. Kind of innately, God had revealed to him that he was baptized. But, you know, Ananias, we, we as people need to see that action, you know. But arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. See, the emphasis for washing away of Saul's sins was not in getting baptized in water, 
but upon him calling upon the name of the Lord. And when we read the totality of the Bible, that is what we see. My interpretation is correct. Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul didn't say, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord and is baptized in water, then he shall be saved. Paul writes, 10, Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Similar to verse 16 here, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul is very clear in all the book of Romans, in fact, that it's no work that can be attached to Jesus Christ's death and sacrifice on the cross for your sins. But go read it. I, I Please, I beg of you if, you, if you have doubt, read that whole, ch- that whole book, that whole epistle. Uh, but it's also very clear, he's very clear in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, least anyone should boast. Now, baptism, whether you want to admit it or not, is a work. And if Paul says here, whom remember, God revealed his will to Saul slash Paul, so that right in two-thirds of the New Testament, Saul, Paul never said we had to do any kind of works. In fact, he said, for my grace you've been saved through faith. And the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And it says it's not by works. Salvation is solely upon Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And our response to his work, which was his grace, by our faith and not by any work, just like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. Uh, whether that be the, you want to attach the work of baptism or, or the keeping of God's law or the law of Moses, it's by Christ's death His grace in doing that and through our faith to put our trust in Him. And that's salvation and that's it. And if we or anyone attach the work of baptism to Christ's death for our sins, then really we're being no different than those same Jews here in Acts 21 and 22 that are persecuting Saul because he taught that works weren't necessary to keep in order to be saved. Many are zealous for God to work their way to God and Jesus Christ and to help that they accept them by being uh, you know, a good person or by doing lots of good works. But this is an incorrect knowledge of God. This is an incorrect zeal for God, one that God does not accept. They are zealous for God in this way of, works, of a work salvation, but this knowledge is not according to the knowledge that God gave us in his word as to how to please him and truly have eternal life with him. Uh, let me cover the last six verses kind of quickly. I'll teach on them as I go, and then I'll close this out, tying all of this information together. Look at verses 17 through 22. He continues the last part of his testimony that they uh, will let him give, right? Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. Well, he leaves out a huge amount of his testimony that he gave in Acts 9, 19 through 22, about how he was there in Damascus and how he was teaching, the, how he was learning from the other Christians there and meeting the disciples and, and then going out and preaching Jesus Christ to the Jews, proving Jesus Christ. But it, it, that part of the testimony, it's not that he lied because he left that part out. It just was, really wasn't relevant to his audience of this day. He, he wasn't lying to them. He, he was just trying to give his zealous Jewish audience that was with him here. Uh, he just wanted to, hey, this is what's pertinent. This, is, this information I'm telling you here, I want to bring you to Christ. All the details are not necessarily important. 
Next, once he says he's in Jerusalem, he says, he goes on, that when I was in Jerusalem, I was in a trance. Uh, verse 18, and, he, and saw him saying to me, so there he saw Jesus Christ saying to him. Remember one of the blessings that Ananias said that Saul was going to get was that he was going to see Jesus Christ. Well, here he was, he was in a trance. Verse 18, and I saw him saying to me. That means he saw the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told him, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Sadly, God tells him there that those in Jerusalem at that time wouldn't receive the same testimony he's given here. So God tells him, get out. Christ tells him, get out. Funny that Paul decides to bring up this part of the story with these Jews in Jerusalem now. Intent, I think he might be saying here, hey Jews, they wouldn't, but you can and you are. Praise God. Paul goes on, verse 19. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and, and, and guarding the clothes of those who were there to kill him. Lord, don't they remember how I was so falsely zealous for you? Right? Even to the persecution and murder of your saints. Paul telling them this probably won a little bit more respect and a few more brownie points with these guys. Because remember, these guys were doing this same exact thing with Paul here just moments before his little mini sermon here. Verses 21 and 22. Then he said to me, depart. I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Hey, hey, Saul. I know that you love these Jews, but they're not going to listen to you. I can see their hearts. I can look into their hearts. They're not going to listen to you. So you know what? Move on. Let's move on. And you'll, uh, you know, we know from Scripture, God lets Saul or Paul have more opportunities with the Jews. But for the most part, Saul goes and becomes Paul, and then he goes to the Gentiles preaching the gospel, telling them, you know, the whole all the doctrine that they these Jews had heard, which made them angry with. Saul, Paul, because, you know, he was teaching them that the law of Moses wasn't important. But, verse 22, they wouldn't let him finish his message. And they listened to him until this word, meaning the word of, I, God said, go to the Gentiles. Why would that have made them angry? Again, the law of Moses was a little G God to these people, and they did not want... Right? They did not like it that, that Paul or Saul was, was basically saying to them, I'm bringing the life-saving, the eternal life-saving message of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. A, a devout Jew was against a, a Gentile. A Gentile was anybody not Jewish. These Jews hated Gentiles. So they get vehemently and violently angry with Paul again. And remember, they away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. Well, that means that had the Roman guards not been right after that, which we'll see next week, not if they would have not gotten Paul out of there when they did, then this whole Jewish Jews in or around this building that saw that well, they would have tried to go get him again. They were going to try to kill him again because they hated him so much because he, again, didn't worship God with the false zeal that they had for God by the love of the law of Moses. He came to have a zeal for God according to the way God told him to have a zeal for him. They're so angry. Paul's teaching of the knowledge of the correct zeal of how God wanted to be loved and followed. And of course, this zeal that Paul came to have for God 
didn't line up with their incorrect zeal for God or the way that they wanted all people to be zealous for God. Notice, though, really at the core, they were angry because Paul wasn't doing it their way. Well, this is the incorrect zeal that people have for God, and this is the correct zeal that people have for God. The incorrect zeal that people have for God is their way. I'm going to love God my way. I've had many a conversation when I've talked to people. Well, you know, the Bible says this. Well, I don't believe that. What they just said is, I know that that's what you're saying the Bible says, but I don't believe that. That's not my way. My, You see, my way to love God, uh, X, Y, Z, whatever that may be. I, You know, it just, it's just the incorrect zeal for God, not according to knowledge, same as the Jews with the Jesus Christ preaching Paul in our section today. Remember, they had a zeal for God, but not according to the correct knowledge that God gave to love him. Most today, most in the world, most obviously even in Saul, Paul's day, were the same way with the God of all the universe. Um, maybe you uh, believe someone can love, serve God the ways that they want to and believe that God is happy with your love and service and zeal for Him. Uh, many are of the belief that uh, uh, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnessism, Islam, Catholicism, those that believe that I can uh, come to Jesus Christ but then live any way I want afterwards and live in sin, it doesn't matter, it's called Osas, or, or Buddhism, or Hinduism, or hey, I, or, or as Catholics believe it, as many people in the world believe, I can be a good person, and I can do really good things, and I can make God happy, and you know, God will see my good works, and you know, He'll let me into heaven, also known as a works doctrine. And there are many others, but many believe that these are the correct ways to have a zeal for God and to show Him that they love Him. But sadly, these ways are not according to the knowledge that God Almighty and Jesus Christ gives, that they give to us in their Word. Um, and so it's an incorrect zeal and knowledge for God. These ways of a zeal for God don't make Him happy because they are the ways that you or mankind has created to love God and have a zeal for God. They're not the ways that God laid down. And the problem with these man-made ways to please and worship God is they're not the ways that He gives us to worship and love Him, and so He rejects them now. And then when the, anyone, you, uh, the person who believes them, when you, when you die and you stand before God and say, God, but I was a good person! God, I did this, and I was a good this, and I, or I followed the Buddhist religion all the way, or I was a devout Hindu, or, or Lord, Lord, I was a Catholic from the day I was born to the day I died. And God's going to say, but those aren't my ways. In me, there's no Buddhist or Catholic or anything. It's, it's all, do you love me according to the ways that I gave? Or do you love me, or do you think you love me by the ways that you want to love me, your way? And see, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way is the way of death. None of the man-made ways to please and love God and show zeal for Him answer the problem of sin. You see, we are sinners and the Bible says, God's word says that sin separates us from God. 
And if we're separated from God by our sin, then only a sin payment that's made on our behalf, not anything we can do for works, only a sin payment that's made on our behalf can pay for those sins. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. And that's why the true teachings of the Christian Bible are the only ways to be saved because the Bible, the true teachings of the Christian Bible, just what the Bible says in context and the way it's all written together and the what Jesus Christ did and not of works, but by Christ's debt and sacrifice, he's the only one that God said, I'll accept his sacrifice for mankind's sins. His death and resurrection from the dead paid for our sins. And only his death and resurrection from the dead made a payment for our sins. And so there's only one way to have a correct zeal and knowledge of God today, and that's through the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And of course, there's only one way that Jesus Christ gave to come through him to go to the Father. Because otherwise, and and the beliefs are out there, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I, I love Jesus. But then you love Jesus if you just ask three or four questions. They don't believe the Bible. So they're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. They've made a Jesus up of their own imagination, uh, a Jesus that'll let them be a lesbian or homosexual, a Jesus that'll allow them, you know, to commit fornication and commit adultery and and you know to to go after money and do have all kinds of and do all kinds of drugs. And their Jesus just lets them do whatever. Well, that's not the Jesus that saves. The Jesus Christ that saves is the one according to the Bible not according to the one of your own imagination. And he said how to come to him, how to love him, in order to show the Father that you love him. Matthew 16, 24, 25, he says this. And this is, this is the point that God brought Saul to. This is the point that I pray for anyone and everyone that ever has ever or will ever listen to one of my messages, that one that God will bring you to. The point of submission, and Jesus says, Matthew 16, 24, 25, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. (laughs) You see, denying yourself is just the opposite of doing it my way. Deny self means that you give up your way, that you get real with God for the first time in your life, and you decide to seek God in his word, and you decide to seek God through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ, and you decide, make a heart decision. It's nothing you're going to do physically, because salvation is not by works, but it's a change of heart that you'll make, or that I want you to make, God wants you to make, where you say, not my ways anymore, God. You're denying yourself. I'm going to do things your way. God's your way, not mine. I know it's cliche, but Jesus take the wheel. I mean, that the song, I, I don't really like the song necessarily, all of it. But the idea, Jesus take the wheel, this is what Jesus wants. You got to get out of the driver's seat of your life. You got to get off the throne of your life where you're in control. And Christ wants to sit there. And his ways, want to, he wants to have your life and rule your ways. Not you rule your ways. And this is salvation. This is not having a zeal according to false knowledge. This is zeal for God according to the knowledge that He gives. 
Then he goes on. After we submit our lives, after we make a decision in our hearts to say, Jesus Christ, I need you. Uh, I want you, please, I want you to be the one to rule my life. He says, then take up your cross and then follow me. Taking up the cross and following me, those are the works. Salvation comes in the denial of self, which is not a work. It's a heart change towards towards God and Christ. And the taking up the cross and following him, those are the works that are supposed to come after You submitting your life and saying, okay, now God, what do you want me to do? And God says, do this. Okay, yes, Lord, I'll do this. Before he goes on, verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you want your life, if you want to rule your life, if you want to be the master of your destiny and the one that rules your own life, well, then basically you're going to lose eternal life because it's God's heaven. He makes the rules. But he says, whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. So if you want to submit your life to me, I want you to. I love you. I submitted my life for you. I laid down my life on the cross for you. Will you do the same for me? Will you turn to me? Will you submit to me? Will you surrender to me? And if you will, he says, but whoever loses his life, loses earthly life for my sake, surrendering to me, he'll find it. You'll find eternal life. Not only will you find eternal life, you'll find the life and a peace and a knowledge of God, and a correct knowledge, and a correct zeal for God that just fills you with love, and changes your heart, and, and, and changes your way that you love, and changes the way that you act, and gives you peace. It's amazing. If you're not coming to God today through Jesus Christ only, and only in the way that Jesus Christ just told us to come to Him in Matthew 16, then you're not saved, and you won't inherit eternal life when you die either and worst part of it all you'll never know god and his will which they're awesome please come to jesus christ instead of your man-made religion and the way to please god uh, your own way right your way the way the, the zeal according to god but not according to knowledge right surrender forget that that's a broken ship That's a sinking ship. And surrender your life and your heart to Christ today and give up. Get real with God and seek Him for real according to a zeal and a knowledge of His Word that's accurate, not incorrect. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your Word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. And pray, Lord God, that those of us that do love you, I pray that we would continue to love you according to the zeal and the knowledge that you've given us in your word and that we wouldn't fall off the wagon, Lord, that we wouldn't go astray, Lord, that we wouldn't fall into a works doctrine because that is so easy to do, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, for those listening that are not yours, that have been doing it their way and they're not really real with you and they know it down deep. Lord, I pray, dear God, for them too, Lord God, that you would reveal your, your love to them every day more and more and more. Reveal yourself to them in a more powerful way. Help them to see. Help them to realize, Lord, and then help them, Lord God, to submit. Help them to surrender. Help them, Lord God, to lay down and get real with you and deny themselves. Thank you so much, Lord God. And I ask all these things. Pray all these things, God, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.